I would ask you to turn with me to the book of Matthew chapter 5 as we are in our series entitled um, Upside Down Kingdom as just you saw the video there and shows how this Jesus has turned this world upside down and from what this world values uh, and what God values are two radically different things. And we need to see how God desires us to live. In some ways, and some scholars believe that this is Jesus' in essence inauguration speech where he is setting the agenda of what it means to be a citizen of his kingdom and what his kingdom rule is going to look like. And it's, it, it's for each one of us. It's not just for this ethereal out there not knowing how to apply it, but this is on the ground uh, application on how we are to live our daily lives. This isn't just a pie-in-the-sky ideal. This is for those who have trusted in Christ and how they are to conduct themselves as citizens of this heavenly kingdom. And we've moved on now into the seventh beatitude uh, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, which it, it's, it's very clear and it's very open. In verse 9 where it says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Now, as I've been thinking about peace and, and meditating on this, and I, I'm not sure if I've even got my brain wrapped around half of what the Scripture talks about when it talks about peace. And I, I'm still trying to digest it myself. But from what I've been able to see and just uh, think of and meditate on, I, I find myself thinking about my past experiences, undoubtedly like we all do. And I started thinking about peace, and, and uh, I, I thought about the... Uh, the, the moving wall that we've had over here at West High. If you even saw the sign, we've been hosting overflow parking for the, for the moving wall. And we've seen people come in and go over there and, and thinking about these individuals who have given their lives and thinking about, um, I started thinking about the Vietnam War. And I, and I, and I came into my mind just all the conflicts because I, I was born after the war was over, just after it, right it was over. And I remember growing up and seeing imagery on television and hearing stories, and some of you have lived through this, and, and seeing that it was, a, it was a very difficult time in our nation. Uh, you had anti-war protesters and those that were going off to war, and, and you had a lot of different songs, and, and it was going back and forth. And I'm not here to talk about that, but I, I am here to, to talk about the one thing that came up from that as I was thinking of this. And the one song that kept coming into my mind was John Lennon's... Um, Give peace a chance, right? You guys know that song. All we are saying is give peace a chance. And, and I'm not talking about the peace that he was talking about. See, the Bible talks about peace, but not the peace that he was talking about, which was this free love, sit in, no war, that kind of thing. It was a pie in the sky, but it was ignoring realities of everyday life. And so what we, we see in the Bible is a very practical peace, but God's peace is different than the world's peace. Did you know that? See, when people use the term peace, you have to understand what are they referring to when they say peace. Because you and I could be saying the same word and mean two totally different things. You ever been in an argument with someone like that? Where you're, you're using the same words and you realize in the midst of the argument that you have totally two different meanings of that word? And I, I think that's what we have to understand. God's telling us, though, to give peace a chance, but not this worldly peace but a different otherworldly peace that is from, rooted, and provided, purchased by Him. And it's a peace that we are to look to do and seek in the midst of everyday life. So He's telling us, give peace a chance. I want you to, this peace that I have for you, I want you to see how you can apply it to your life and how this is how you as a citizen of the kingdom of God are to live. So it's not just for those who are super spiritual. It's not for this, this way out there ideal that we can never attain to. This is something for each of us in the situations of life where we find ourselves in conflict. Have you ever found yourself in conflict? It might have been this morning when you sat down <laughs> or when you got in the car. I find that some of our greatest fights were on the way to church. And I live 45 seconds away from here. Okay? I don't know if you've ever had that. And, 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 you know, when you go through that conflict, and you, how do you handle it? You know, as a pastor, one of my main, uh, one of the things that I have to deal with, and, and as elders, we have to deal with more than any other, is conflict resolution, mediation, peace. Because you know what? We're sinful creatures, and we're all ready for a fight at any time, at a moment's notice. And we even cite our heritage, like I'm a fighting Irishman. Or a Scotsman. I mean, even the, the, the Notre Dame logo. What is it? It's a fighting Irish. It's an Irishman ready to put up his dukes. And many of us come from that, and we've inherited that. But is that the life that God has for us? And 
What does it mean to truly be a person of peace, a peacemaker? Does that mean people walk all over me? Does that mean that I just get taken advantage of all the time? Does it mean that I'm a doormat? Does it mean me walk around going, hey, give peace a chance, baby? You know, or that kind of thing. Peace. It's the stupidest pictures. I'm so tired of those. But, it, I mean, it is. You know, that's what we have is people doing like a peace. And I'm like, do you really understand what peace is? We keep throwing around this word, but what does it mean? What does God have for us? What does it mean to truly be a peacemaker? That's what we're going to find out today. But before we go any further, let's ask for God's blessing on our time together. Father, we come before you longing to understand and apply the truth of this beatitude. We want to be peacemakers. Give us clear minds. Open our hearts to go into your word and let your work soak into the recesses of our soul that we might go forth changed. Lord, we have developed patterns of disobedience and sometimes we've learned things from family members or friends or just life experiences that are antithetical to your word. Lord, help us to throw that away, embrace your word and what it says to and for us in this day and age, in our places where we work, where we live, where we interact, that we can be peacemakers for the glory of God. Lord, open up our hearts. We're, get, we're willing to give peace a chance and embrace this world, that what you have for us today in this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So the first thing, just like I said before, and I want us to really jump into this. We, we have seen, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Now, if we are going to truly understand what peace is, we have to define the terms. So we need to decide on a definition of peace. That's the first, first thing in your notes. Because the world's peace and Jesus' peace are two very different kinds of peace. And we're going to really see that today. That we have to define this term, define what God has for us when he talks to peace. Now, it's interesting. The word for peace in Greek, because the New Testament was written in Greek originally, is uh, erene poios. It's a compound word, irene, which is the word for peace in Greek, and poios, which means to do, to bring about, to make happen. So a peacemaker is one who brings about peace. Now, we still haven't defined what peace is. And we have to look in and, and focus on that word, irene, in the, old, in the New Testament's uh, uses for it. And, and we see that irene is rooted in the word, the Old Testament word of peace. Does anyone know what that is? Shalom. Shalom. Now, shalom is multifaceted. It's not just referring to the absence of conflict, although that's the first part of it. So if we're to see what peace is, we see, first of all, that it is the absence of war. And I'm not just talking about war as in the global, in the nationalistic sense. I'm talking about conflict between people in every facet. So it's the absence of war, but not just that. There's a secondary part to it, and this is where we, we often miss it. It's also the presence of wholeness. Absence of war and the presence of wholeness. See, Shalom in the Old Testament was speaking about, about uprightness, about well-being, about personhood, about rested ourselves, about not, not being in need and, and just alone. And it's, it's the feeling of peace, rest, wholeness. So it's, we see that it's the absence of war, but it's also the presence of wholeness. And this is the peace that Jesus is talking about. But this peace differs from what we see in the world. That's what Jesus says in, in John chapter 14, verse 27. Check this verse out on the screen. Jesus says, peace I leave with you, arene. This peace I leave with you, my peace, he, his peace that he has, I give to you. Not as the world gives, though. It's not like a peace of the world. It's not that peace. It's a different kind of peace. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So the peace that the Bible we can see refers to is far different for, from the world. So we have to understand and get a picture. What does this peace then look like? Where is there a passage that we can point to, that we can pinpoint, we can look at and draw out and get a further understanding of this meaning? So what do we have to do? We have to survey the scriptures. God himself speaks about peace, so we go to his word to find out about it. So what we need to do is survey the scriptures. Let's survey the scriptures to find out what the scriptures say about peace. Now, when the Bible speaks about peace, it speaks of it in three different ways. First of all is the peace 
of the Holy One. Peace with God. Having peace with Him. The book of Romans chapter 5 says this verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we can now have, or we have, peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, the Bible uses some pretty awful terms and indicting terms to describe our relationship pre-Christ. We are considered God's enemies, children of wrath, sons of disobedience, followers of the prince of the air. We were selfish, lost, and in complete rebellion to God. That's pretty indicting, is it not? There's nothing good about us, but God yet chooses to love us. And through giving His Son, who Himself is our peace, we then can now have peace with God. Think about that. I mean, you ever been in conflict with somebody? I mean, we think of people in conflict. Think of the Hatfields and the McCoys. You know that old famous story of those two families and how they would go back and forth? I mean, some of you, that's how your family is. I mean, you are. It, it, we have conflict. And when you, you ever been in conflict with somebody? And, and what happens the more that you're in conflict? Does it get worse? As it goes along, I mean, think about what people do when they're angry at conflict with someone, and, and, if, and if they hurt me, I hurt them back, right? And it escalates, and it escalates. Now, let's think about this. What would it be like to be in conflict and in war with God? Do you think you're going to win? I mean, I think of some of these little small countries in the world, like Monaco or San Marino or, or uh, Luxembourg or Liechtenstein, you know? And I, and I think, let's have Liechtenstein declare war on Russia, how much of a war is that going to be? Not much. You know? Sometimes I'd love to see Canada declare war. Just because their flag isn't that intimidating. So, it's a leaf. Oh, okay. Okay? But, I mean, we think about that. These countries, and we think of these small little countries that's going to declare war on a big one, and we laugh at it. We laugh. Like, how's that little country going to do anything? See, that's how we are in the sight of God. I mean, we're like fleas in the sight of God. And yet we think we're going to beat him and show him how things are. It's impossible. But see, God, God sent his son in our likeness to take the wrath of God due us upon himself. He said we can now have a ceasefire, peace with God. So the Bible talks about this as having a peace with the Holy One. Then it has peace with our ourselves. Peace with ourselves. We see that within Scripture in the book of Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 through 7. Do not be anxious. How many of you have anxiety? We all have anxiety, do we not? In some way, shape, or form. Have some anxiety about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And what does God speak into your life? And the peace of God And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. See, God enables us to have peace with ourselves. I mean, many of us are divided. We're at war with ourselves. Instead, God tells us to have peace with ourselves. And we can have that peace. So when the Bible's talking about peace, it's peace with God, peace with ourselves, and then lastly, peace with others. Peace with others. We can have peace with others. Now, it's interesting. I think this, in some ways, is the hardest peace to have, practically speaking. I mean, we could talk about having peace with God, but we don't, always, we don't see God face to face. We look in the mirror, and we can say, I like me. I'm okay, you're okay. I'm looking at the mirror at ourselves, and do that. It's not the right thing to do, but we can have peace with ourselves. It's another thing, though, to have peace with people we don't like. How many of you work with someone you don't like? I hope you don't work with your spouse. <laughs> okay? Or you go to school with someone you don't like. Or, you, or you're in a house with someone you don't like. How many of you look in the mirror at someone you don't like? See, God says that we can now have peace with one another. That we now have this new man that has been declared that Christ removed this dividing wall of hostility and now there's no, neither Jew nor Greek nor or slave nor free. 
nor male nor female, we're all one in Christ Jesus, that this, this, all of these, these tensions that have been traditionally means of warfare and conflict throughout the centuries, he has torn that down and he's able us all to be the recipients and beneficiaries of salvation that we did not deserve. And we now can have peace not just with God, but with one another. That's pretty radical. The Bible yet talks about that. But we know that God then speaks to peace in all of these different ways. But we also know that there is always going to be obstacles to peace. So what we need to do is figure out how can we be overcoming the obstacles to peace that creep up in our lives. Because we want to have peace, but there's always obstacles to peace. There's barriers to peace. We have to break down those barriers, overcome those obstacles to peace. Now this is where it's going to get really personal. Because this is where the rubber meets the road. Here are some obstacles of peace. This is by no means exhaustive or comprehensive. But this is what I have observed that most of us have struggled with as an obstacle to peace. First of all, it's straight up personal pride. Personal pride. I I remember asking my daughter, you know, why did you hit your brother? He hit me first. It's a matter of pride. We don't want them to get away with it. So we have to get them back. So it's personal pride. Secondly, second obstacle to peace is this, past pain. Past pain. Now, we see this happening in places like Northern Ireland and in Israel. When, when you have these different people groups, one hurts this one, so this one has to hurt that one because you hurt my family, I'm going to hurt you back. And it's this endless cycle. It's, it's like I heard it described in a gangster movie once. Two, two characters were trying to figure out how to get Al Capone. The older guy says to the younger guy, you want to get Capone? Here's how you get him. He pulls a knife, you pull a gun. He sends one of yours to the hospital, you send one of his to the morgue. That's the Chicago way. You know, that's how many of us operate. We're all about Old Testament, eye and eye, tooth for a tooth. You know, we're, it's amazing. We don't like Old Testament when it comes to law and sin, but we're all for Old Testament when it comes to vengeance. <laughs> we are. We are. But see, we have this past hurt that creeps up and we think we got to get back because they hurt us. But that's not what God desires. Instead, we have to declare peace and forgive and give grace. I'm reminded of the story, and I've shared it before, of Gordon Wilson. Gordon Wilson uh, was a devoted um, Methodist man. He was a draper in uh, Northern Ireland in 1987. And he was in a town outside of Belfast with his daughter when an, a bomb blew up. I mean, you had all of these conflicts between Catholics and Protestants, and it's not a religious conflict as it is a political conflict between England and Ireland. And so what's going on there is, is they, they had this bomb blew up, and it killed 11 people. And I think it injured 63, if I can remember correctly. But all of this rubble came down on Gordon Wilson and his 20-year-old daughter, Marie. They were, they were buried under rubble. And as they were dug out, I mean, she's barely hanging on, and, and she's trying to grasp his hand as she's being taken away. And she says to him, I love you, Daddy. I love you. Daddy, I love you very much. They turned out to be her last words. She was taken to the hospital where she died of her injuries. Now, what would you do if you were Wilson? You would be angry. I would be angry. Someone killed one of my children. Would you be angry? Would you want vengeance? Think about that. Take your son or daughter. They were killed in some senseless thing. Would you be angry at the perpetrators of that crime? I would. I would try to seek vengeance, I think. I hope I wouldn't, but in my flesh, I think I would. But he does something totally different. Here's what he did, and a newspaper proclaimed it. The newspaper said, No one remembers what the politicians had to say at that time. No one who heard Gordon Wilson will ever forget what he confessed. His grace towered over the miserable justifications of the bombers. Speaking from his hospital bed, he said this, I have lost my daughter, but I bear no grudge. Bitter talk is not going to bring Marie Wilson back to life. I shall pray tonight and every night that God will forgive them. You know what that enabled? That enabled that ungrace, that violence to stop. Because they said, if he's not going to retaliate for a lost one, then why should we? It enabled some healing to occur, forgiveness and peace. 
he let go of that past hurt. Another obstacle to peace is also a power play. Power play. And here's what I mean by that. There are those that when someone hurts you, you are going to hold it over them to get them to do what you want them to do, and it's a form of manipulation. That is wrong. When someone, you say if someone hurt you and you have to bring it up every time that you fight so you can get your way. I see this with husband and wives a lot. You know, couples are going to fight. It's inevitable. It's inevitable. But when you fight, do you fight fair? Like when my wife and I fight, we have rules. We have rules. We establish them when we're not in the fight. <laughs> so we're all good when we get there. But it's, it's a few things. Number one, we don't bring up past grievances. Stuff that's been forgiven is forgiven. You don't keep an arsenal of junk that you bring out of all the stuff that is wrong at that moment in time. Some of you, you, are, you verbally unload and you spew forth this lava of poison and bitterness onto that person. You just vomit it up on them. And you do it not because you care about them, because you want to get your way and you want to control them to get your way. That's sinful. That is wrong. That is a power play from the pit of hell. That's not what Jesus calls us to do. We're not to keep past record of wrong. Love keeps no record of wrongs, right? Doesn't the scripture say that in 1 Corinthians 13? But we keep record of wrongs. See, we're not to do that. We're not to, to use it as a form of manipulation. I mean, some of the other things that we, with my wife and I, we have other things. We don't call one another names. It doesn't help anything. We don't use statements like, you always do this, because chances are it's not always. I mean, and we have another rule. We never go to bed angry. That's three weeks, by the way. We stayed up straight for three weeks, not sleeping. But we don't. These are good rules to have, because we're going to fight. If you want to be a peacemaker, you also have to be willing to admit that you're wrong. Many of us don't like that. We don't like to admit we're wrong. But you know, sometimes we are. We might, have said, we might have thought we said something and we didn't. We might have misunderstood what they had to say. We must make sure that we are not trying, though, to use uh, their, their grievance or their sin as a means of controlling them to get them to do what we want. A fourth obstacle is present pleasure. Present pleasure. We can see this actually biblically in Acts chapter 19. When the gospel came to Ephesus, there were these, uh, the people of Ephesus were worshipers in the Diana or Artemis cult. And they, they had these silver shrines that they would go to and sometimes even have in their homes. So that means in order to have silversmiths, you have to have, I mean, silver, shrines of silver, you have to have silversmiths. People that make them. So with people converting to Christianity and leaving the Artemis cult behind, what happened to the silversmiths? They're going bankrupt. They're struggling financially. So that causes them to get frustrated. And so rather than follow God, they cause a riot trying to get people to turn away from it. So rather than, than and then saying to themselves, I want to do what God wants to do, they're looking at their bank accounts. They're not thinking about truth there. They're saying, I'm not content anymore I'm not in comfort anymore, and so I'm going to cause conflict. See, we sometimes have this, we, have, we desire pleasure more than we do peace. And we'd rather just feign ignorance and live in this, this illusion of comfort than have to deal with the situations that are there. So we must make sure that we're not pursuing this present pleasure at the cost of lasting peace. And the last obstacle is E, is pos- the possibility of persecution. See, some people don't want to try and make peace because they're afraid of what others, what others might say. They're afraid of, what, of being put outside of the group. They're afraid of others coming at them and criticizing for making peace. I'm sure that's what happened to Gordon Wilson. I'm sure people came to him and said, Are you kidding? You just lost your daughter. Come on. Let's fight back. Let's do this. But he says, No, I'm going to forgive them. How can you forgive them? I mean, some people are afraid what other people are going to say. Don't let that, that, the possibility of persecution keep you from peace. See, while we are to remove the, the obstacles to peace, we have to see what peace are we trying to get. Because, you know, it's interesting. 
the gospel is divisive. We talked about this in our small group. I don't know how you talked about if you talked about this in your small group because we said, how often do you pursue peace? What if someone is pursuing sin? Are you to compromise and seek peace at the cost of them allowing them to continue in their sin or being seemingly okay with it? Isn't the gospel divisive? I mean, didn't Jesus say this in Matthew chapter 10? I want to show you this verse. Jesus says this, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. Wait, what? Didn't he just say that I came to bring peace? He said, Did I not... Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against his mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a parent's enemies will be the enemies, uh, will be those of his own household. Does that seem contradictory to what he said before? No. Jesus, what he's saying there is, is that there is a peace that the world wants. That's not the peace that I'm giving. He's saying, I didn't come to bring peace to this world that's fallen. I came to redeem this world by showing by the sacrifice of myself that God has judged this world and declared it wanting. And the peace that now is available is through me and me alone. And, and people must declare their loyalty to me as first and primary. And when you do that, the other parts of your family are going to have a hard time with it because it's going to be an act of judgment toward them. Because they will see themselves... In their sin, when they see you turn from it, because that will indict them at the same time. So that's the peace. Jesus didn't come to bring peace to this world that's fallen, but came to declare peace between man and God. But this world seeks to promote a peace and says, there's peace. Can't we all just get along? Can't we just hold hands and everybody be okay? You know, God talks about this in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 13, verse 10 through 11. As he's speaking to the nation, and I'm I'm using it as an indictment toward us as well. Scripture says, precisely because they have misled my people. These people have misled them, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. This is not true and enduring and lasting peace of the gospel. This is a pseudo-peace of the world. There's no peace because when the people build a wall, the prophets smear it with whitewash saying to those who smear it with whitewash that it shall fall. There will be a deluge of rain, and you, O great hailstones, will fall, and a stormy wind will break out. The point is is that there's people that say, hey, can't we just have this peace, and it's going to be great, and we'll have peace in our lifetime. And I remember a good friend of mine in high school. I had just come to Christ, and, and I was zealous, and I didn't know how to control myself, and I just wanted to preach all the time in the midst of class. And uh, I had one friend, he, he, he took really issue with my faith. And, and, I, and I knew enough, I knew enough that there wasn't peace for the wicked. There's no peace for the wicked, the scripture says. And I know there's no lasting and enduring peace or wholeness or shalom without the gospel of Christ. So my friend looks at me and he goes, there will be peace in our lifetime. And I said, no, there won't. He goes, how do you know that? And I said, because I can't agree with you. True enough. True enough. We need to have this enduring, lasting peace of the gospel, not this pseudo-peace of the world. And we need to make sure that we identify this counterfeit peace that is coming to us at, from the world all the time. So we need to clear away peaceful counterfeits. Because there are peaceful counterfeits that are vying for your attention and your adherence to get you to think and turn away from the gospel of peace. Because it tries to attain peace without the gospel. And it's an illusion. And it's a trick. And we're going to talk about that in just a moment. Now the first obstacle toward peace is this. Ignorance. Ignorance. Straight up ignorance. And I, what I mean by that is this, is this is feigned ignorance. Or intentional ignorance. Where I don't want to know and I don't want to deal with it. And if I don't know what it is and I don't deal with it. Then I don't have to be responsible for it. That's not maintaining peace. That's being disobedience, being disobedient, because you, you're saying you don't want a part of it to know what's going on, and it, and it depends on the conflict, but that is an illusion. The second counterfeit is the one the world uses all the time and is most popular in our country right now, and it's the myth and the counterfeit of tolerance. The counterfeit of tolerance. Now, am I saying here that we can't tolerate others? No, I'm not saying that at all. We are to tolerate others, but in a biblical sense, 
not in a worldly sense. Here's what I mean. See, the world has a different understanding and a definition of tolerance than the Bible. I want to illustrate this with uh, Greg Kokel is the president of a ministry called Stand to Reason. It's an apologetics ministry. And he went to a Christian high school in Des Moines, Iowa, several years ago. And he put two phrases up on the board. And he asked, I mean, he put the first phrase up on the board and he asked the class, how many have agree with this statement, showing how we've all been taken in by this tolerance trick. First, he does this. This is the first statement he puts on the board. He says, all views have equal merit, and none should be considered better than another. Sounds good. And he said, he said to the class, how many of you agree with this statement? Every single person in the class raised their hand. And then he said this, number two, Jesus is the Messiah, and Judaism is wrong for rejecting him. And a girl in the class got angry and says, you can't say that. That's intolerant. And he goes, wait, wait, wait. Is that a view? If one is true, shouldn't true too be okay to say? That's a view, isn't it? See, it's a trick. See, basically tolerance says all views are tolerated except one. That's intolerance. See, intolerance should be tolerated as well in the tolerance trick. But basically what tolerance is saying is that you can tolerate everything except what disagrees with us in the world. See, that's an illusion. It's of the devil. And see, many Christians are being brought into this, and we have a wrong understanding. See, we have to go back to the classical biblical view of tolerance. I want to show you this. This is what tolerance really is. Classical biblical tolerance is this. Be egalitarian. Now, it's probably a new word for many of you. Egalitarian means equally. Everything being equal. Or think equally. So we need to be egalitarian, think equally, regarding persons. Be elitist regarding ideas. And here's what I mean by that. I can be egalitarian. I can value you as a person. But I can say that your idea is wrong. It's like, for instance, when I was uh, teaching a Sunday school class when I was in Chicago, somebody found a website where they believe Jesus came in the form of a mushroom. Kid you not. Church of the Sacred Mushroom. Okay? I think they were around too many mushrooms. Okay? So the Church of the Sacred Mushroom, they believe that Jesus came in the form of a mushroom. Now, I can look at that person and say, that idea is stupid. (laughs) Their idea was wrong, right? I can say, I can care for you as a person, but I can disagree with what you're thinking. That's classical tolerance. That's how the Bible really defines it, is that I can love you as a person and disagree with your sinful lifestyle, right? Right? That's what it's talking about. But see, this is, what, this is the, what the world does. It flips it. It says this. Be egalitarian, think equally regarding ideas. Be elitist regarding persons. So, for instance, and I'm going I'm to put this in our backyard. Okay, West High. West High. We have a girl from our Sugar Grove campus who went to school at West High. Okay? She's sitting in the cafeteria when someone was asking her opinion about homosexuality. And she said, I believe it's a sin. I believe that there are many different sins uh, of what the scripture speaks about. The kid that asked her didn't even take time to respond, stood up, started pointing at her in the middle of the cafeteria and started saying, she hates homosexuals. She's a bigot. Now, did she say that she hated people who were struggling with homosexuality? No. Did she say, did she say that these people were evil? No. She said she disagreed with the sin, the idea that they held to. But they were taking it saying, no, 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 you're persecuting the person. No, no, I'm disagreeing with what the person does as a behavior. See, this is where our world is right now, and it flips it back and forth. And we have to go back to the biblical idea of it. I can disagree with your idea and care for you as a person. See, we're not to have that type of peace where you are okay in your sinful life. See, you don't see that in Scripture. You don't see John the Baptist coming alongside Herod going, by the way, it's okay that you're having your brother's wife. No, he says, it's sinful what you're doing. It's against God's word. It's against God's word. And Herod threw him in jail. He eventually was killed before it because of it. See, we have to be able to call sin. So when we look for peace, it's not at the cost of truth. And I see many different denominations that are capitulating to the culture and many different churches and even pastors because they'd rather be more accepted in the world's eyes and have everybody love them 
and everybody be okay, rather than speak the truth of God's word. And I've heard some say, I'm to seek peace, but not at the cost of truth. You're to suffer for truth, to hold dear to truth. Now, I'm not saying that you fight back in that regard. You don't come out swinging with punches. But as far as it depends on you, live peaceably, meaning that you have to understand that you're answering to a higher authority than them. Your job is not to convince them. Your job is to be faithful, present the truth, and let God do that. See, the problem is, is many of us feel like it's our job to convince them and tell them and make them obey. And that's not the way of Christ. He presents it in love, and he continues to love them. That's what we are to do, and that's hard to do. It's very hard to do. So we must get rid of this understanding of tolerance, the, the unbiblical sense, and embrace the, the biblical sense of tolerance. Now, tolerance isn't the only, only counterfeit to, to peace. So is avoidance. Avoidance. How many of you have avoided conflict? When you see someone coming in one door, you go out the other. <laughs> How many of you did that this morning? Right? But it's true. We think, oh, if we can just avoid it, we don't want to get into it, so we'll just... Deal with this elephant in the room all the time. We're going to avoid it. We're going to avoid it. No, 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 no. That's, we're like, well, we have peace. No, you just have a very quiet war is what you have. So these are counterfeits to peace. Those aren't real peace. We instead need to be pursuing peace God's way. Pursuing peace God's way. Now, I am not, I'm not a pro at this. I am, not, I am in process just like everybody else here. Hopefully, I'm a little further along uh, in this because of just studying the Word and applying it. But I, I'll tell you, I, this is a new arena for me because I'm not the best when it comes to conflict either. And I'm, I'm trying to learn how to do this God's way just like everybody else is. And I know a few things what God says about His Word and conflict. First of all, the first way to pursue peace is just this, love other people, loving others. Why? First Peter 4.8, this is the reason why. Check it out. First Peter 4.8, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Sins, right? We're to overlook some of those things that when, when people hurt us, and I'm amazed at people, they say, well, I've forgiven them. And then they proceed to talk bad about them and the situation. And I'm like, you really haven't forgiven them yet. See, if you forgive them, you, you then remove that right to bring it back up to other people. If you've truly forgiven them, that's what you do. You don't say, I've forgiven them, and you're just trying to make sure and make yourself look really better than you are. And the reality is, is you're just covering up your sin. You're just trying to hide behind a godly cloak in your hypocrisy. If you've really forgiven it, you've got to let it go. You really do. We all do. Every single one of us have to be able to do that. So we make sure that we're loving others. Secondly, we must make sure that we are lay, laying out the gospel. That's the only true way to peace. Only true way to peace is through the gospel of Jesus Christ because it's through the gospel that we receive peace. And you can't have true and lasting peace apart from the gospel. You know, it's interesting. In Jesus' birth announcement in Luke chapter 2, and we've heard this before. I want to show this to you. Glory to God in the highest and on, on, on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now, undoubtedly, if you've been in church for any period of time and you've been in any type of Christmas service, you have heard the King James Version of this verse, which is slightly different, which is on, on earth, uh, where it says, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Now, in Greek, that's not how it is. The ESV corrects that. It's not toward all men. It's toward those whom he is pleased in Greek. It literally is there are certain people that are beneficiaries of his peace, not all men, only those who have trusted and believed in Christ will receive this lasting peace. True peace. And so when we lay out that gospel, that's where peace can then be met. That is the neutral ground on which we can find peace with God and peace with one another. Thirdly, we must make sure that we are living as Christ did. Christ is our template for living peacefully. He is our peace, the personification of peace, the provider, purchaser, and protector of peace. And, and like we've said before, peace doesn't mean there will not be conflict and that we don't confront sin. It doesn't mean maintaining a semblance of peace so that sin will be allowed to flourish. That's not peace. That's not what Jesus did. 
He's the prince of peace who drove out the money changers from the temple. He rebuked the hypocritical religious teachers, yet he was able to be an emissary of peace because he himself is the declaration of God's peace to man. And not only that, we can see in Christ, God was in essence taking the first step toward reconciliation. Now here's what, here's what the application is for us. Don't wait on someone else to come to you to ask for forgiveness or to seek peace. You take the first step. How many of us are just waiting for someone else to come to us? They haven't come to me yet. You go to them. What are you waiting on? Think about that person that you're struggling with right now. And and I know we all have someone in our mind. Have you taken that step, or are you waiting for them to take that step? Did God wait for us to take a step toward him? He took the step first. And that's what we must do, living as Christ did. Fourthly, here's a real practical one. If we're to perceive pursue Christ, then it requires us listening carefully. Listening carefully. Now I can see women looking at their husbands going, did you hear this? Are you listening to what he's saying right now? This is what James says, James chapter 1, verse 19 through 20. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Okay, I want you to go back with a fight that you've had with someone. They are, they are talking to you, and are you, are you listening, or are you filling your mind with your response so you're not really listening? You ever done that? I have. I have. Or we're just distracted, and we go, yeah, yeah, we're not really paying attention. We need to listen carefully to help f- find peace. Like with my kids, uh, Last fall, we hosted at our house a barbecue for InterVarsity's um, AU, uh, Aurora's University, um, their InterVarsity chapter at our, at our house. And uh, as it was nearing the end, my wife had to come over here for rehearsal. My daughter, I think, was at a friend's house. So I had the two younger ones. I had Mariah and Elijah. And we were dealing with Elijah at that time. He was two and a half. And being a boy, he's very aggressive. Okay? He's very, very aggressive, just being a boy. And so he, had, he pinned, at the time, his six-year-old sister. He could pin her, and then he would pull her hair and roll on over. And she, we had taught our kids, like, don't, don't fight, don't fight. So she's thinking, I can't fight back. So she would scream bloody murder until one of the parents interceded. And she's like, get him off, get him off, get him off. Right? So I got tired of doing this like three or four times. And I thought, I need to toughen my daughter up a little bit. So I gave some counsel that my wife caused my wife's jaw to drop. I said, Honey, if he won't get off of you after asking and we're not there, you have my permission to punch him as hard as you possibly can. Okay? You have my permission to do this. Because the kid just doesn't. I mean, you talk to him and he's like, blah, 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 you know. And like, you under, he'll get that. Boys have a tendency to deal with physical force a lot better. All right? So I tell, I tell my, my wife's like, are you sure that'll work? I'm like, I don't know. We're going to find out real fast. So my, my daughter's like, really? I'm like, just if he won't get off of you. If, if he's pinned you and he's hurt you and you can't get away and there's no one there to help, you got to hit him to get him off to get yourself free, then that's okay. She goes, okay, daddy. <laughs> right? Okay, so, so let's fast forward to the, 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 the barbecues at my house and everybody's leaving and I'm having to clean up right now. And my wife had gone to rehearsal. My other daughter was gone. So um, I thought it's getting late. It's their bedtime. I threw them both in the tub. Just started filling up the water. And I went outside to just pick up some chairs real quick, close the garage door, and come right back in. So I went outside, and I'm grabbing the chairs, I'm walking back, and I hear, and I look up, and I see my my blonde-headed son's tears, and he's standing at the back door, bawling his head off. And I'm like, oh, no, what happened? So I drop the chairs, I walk in the house, and I see my son standing buck naked. He's right at the door crying, and he's got a trail of water behind him because he'd walked down from the shower in the upper level, and there's just water from him, and he's crying, and his back is red. And I'm like, what happened? He, ah, ah, ah. So, so I walk him upstairs, and, there, and there's my daughter, Mariah, standing in the shower going, <laughs> singing to herself, <laughs> all happy. And I'm like, what happened? She's like, I did what you said. And I'm like, what was that? She goes, he wouldn't move. I said, he wouldn't move? Was he on top of you? She's like, no, he was standing in front of the water. And he wouldn't move. So I punched him as hard as I could. (laughs) And I was like, honey, you didn't listen to me. I said, when he pins you and you can't get away. Oh. (laughs) See, I mean, many of us try to do that, right? We don't listen, first of all. 
Or, or we pretend to listen, and then we really don't do what we need to do. Right? That's how we are. So we have to listen. And listen what God has for us. By the way, I'm not advocating punching your brother or sister. Okay? Uh, <clears throat> so we need to be listening carefully. And here we go. The next one is we need to be learning from past mistakes. Now, we are difficult people. We have a tendency to be hard-headed. And what do we do? We repeat the same mistakes over and over and over again. You ever been in a fight and you, you fight the same way every single time? I'm not talking about drop-hands fight. I'm talking about these conflicts that we inevitably will have with other people. As long as there is sin on this earth, we're going to have conflicts. So we need to learn how to handle it God's way. So we have to, be, we have to watch out and be, make sure that we are learning from past mistakes. I know with my wife... The, 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 I told you the, the rules that we have, we didn't come up with those before we got married. We learned those in marriage. I mean, do you have rules for if you're married, how you fight? Or how you interact with other people? Things that you just won't do? Or you, or you are the one that says, I do unto them as they've done unto me. That's the eye and eye, tooth for tooth. So we need to make sure that we are learning from our past mistakes so we don't repeat them. If we're to, to find conflict and we know that something has caused conflict in the past, don't do it. Don't do it. See, that's why I, I, I tell people, this is another way to, to avoid conflict. This is just real practical. Don't respond. Just, this is for social media. Don't respond to conflict on Facebook or in emails. As a staff, we have come up with a rule not to, not to write emails when, we're, when there's a conflict. We get emails from people, and they instead of talking to us, they often just unload in an email. And I'm not saying all emailing is wrong. What I'm saying is, is that we can misread emails, can we not? We read between the lines. We read intentions. And, and we can't read their body language and what they're saying and how they say it. And then we escalate, and we email them back. And then there's more under, misunderstanding. And then it goes to other people. And, and then it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. I learned, don't do that. That is not the place to do it at. And neither is Facebook. That is not the place where you're going to be resolving conflict because what it, all it does is leads to more misunderstanding. Don't be a coward. Talk to them. Okay? We think that if we can just do it and send it off and get our venom out, then we don't have to deal with it any longer. But it's just exacerbating the problem. Don't do that. Learn from your past mistakes. Next, two more. Let go of past hurt. Let go of past hurt. See, if you forgive someone, like I said before, truly forgive them, then you relinquish the right to bring it up in present arguments. Do you know what happens when we don't let go of past hurt? It begins to grow in us in us in bitterness, and then it becomes toxic to all you come into contact with. Let go of past hurt. And lastly, Let's make sure that we're leaving it in the hands of God. At the end of the day, when we still can't find a way to peace, because the scripture says, as far as it depends on you, and you still find that person in conflict with you, you have to leave it in the hands of God. Romans chapter 14, or 12, excuse me, 12, 17 through 21. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. And what does he do here? But leave it to the wrath of God. You leave it in the hands of God. You let him handle it. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. See, the problem that we have is is we don't let God do that. We want it now. And we want to justify our own anger and our own frustration and our own pain. So we unload. We must make sure that we don't do that. Allow it to, leave it to God to do. To the contrary, this is how you're to treat him. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's hard to do. It's extremely hard to do. I'm reminded of Albert Moeller. Albert Moeller is the president of Southern Seminary. He took over the presidency of Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, when he was just in his early 30s. The school had gone very, very liberal, extremely liberal. 
And so he becomes president of the school, and he says, we're going right back to the Word of God. We're not going to give in to this cultural stuff again. And some of the people really love this cultural stuff. So he, he sent it. Um, they, had, they staged a sit-in on his lawn and said, we're not going to leave until you change your ways. And you go, you go back the way we want. And we don't want to do what the Word of God says. We're going to do it this way. God bless him. He was 33 years old. You know what he did? He ordered pizza. Gave him all pizza. And he goes, God bless you guys. I respect you guys and that you're standing up for what you believe in. But you know what? We're not changing anything. God bless you. Here you go. So order pizza for your enemy. So if I get pizza on my door. Right? So let's make sure of that. Let's make sure that we are, we are leaving it all in the hands of God. Because at the end of the day, we do have to leave it in the hands of God. That's what we have to do. If we're to give peace a chance, then we have to give God and His Word a chance. We have to entrust ourselves to Him and Him alone. Order our lives according to His Word. Making sure as far and as much as it depends on us to live in peace with all men as we look toward the time of greatest peace when he comes and sets up his kingdom on earth. See, he is our peace, our basis for reconciliation. He has sacrificed himself so that God would have a ceasefire with us. And he commands us to be peacemakers, seeking to give peace a chance in our homes, schools, and our neighbors, nations, classmates, and co-workers, for his glory and our joy. Let's pray. Father, help us to truly give peace a chance in the way that you have outlined it within your word. Help us to have a holistic and comprehensive understanding what your word speaks to. Help us not to, to overlook uh, or, or try to compromise our faith to accept sin and those around us, but help us to, to call the ideas forth as wrong and sinful and yet love them at the same time. Lord, help us to be peacemakers in our homes with our spouses if we're married or with our children. Lord, those are the conflicts we face day in and day out or at our workplace with our boss or our employees or with that person across the cubicle or, or the, the person in the next bay, whatever it might be. Lord, please help us to be emissaries and be peacemakers just as you yourself have been a peacemaker with us. Lord, help us not to, to hold on to hurts, but to give them over to you. And help us to always remember and look to you and see, and see what it costs you to have peace with us. Lord, may we marvel in that fact. May we live our lives in that fact. And may we reorder our lives according to your word that, we might, that you might grow in glory and might receive great glory and that we might go forth in joy and peace. We pray your blessing on us now as we, we go our separate ways today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.